This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is the SNM show 9:36 on a th- Wednesday morning and today our guest is uh, somebody special we've not had him before Hasif Murad who's an investment manager with Aberdeen Islamic Asset Management welcome to the show Hasif thanks Julian and uh, of course uh, Ibrahim Sani also joins me in this episode of the show where we are going to talk about whether government institutions are stabilizing factors in market crises like the Brexit uh, which just happened last week and uh, the KLCI seem to have stabilized since that time um you know, so you know, both the uh, the stock and bond markets in Malaysia has if, are dominated by so-called uh, government-linked investment companies or GLICs, as they're called, um, institutions like Kazana and EPF. So, uh, what we're going to ask is that uh, is whether these institutions are comforting factors for Malaysia. Um, especially in times of crisis. But uh, just a word on Brexit. Do you have any words of comfort for investors out there? Well, I think it's very difficult to comfort people when there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, uh, you know, Especially when the British Parliament themselves or British politicians themselves don't know what's going on or don't know how to go about. Um, but I think what's comforting for mal- investors within Malaysia, within Asia, is the fact that uh, we've been practically shielded from any impact of Brexit uh, or, or significant impact on Brexit to the markets. So I think, you know, j- just like you said, the, the, the rally in KLCI, uh, uh, in most bond markets, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's testament to that. So we uh, should be comforted. One thing that, uh, you know, that I don't feel that comforted uh, is because Kazara and EPF, they haven't come out to say anything strong for or against the Brexit. Uh, why is that the case? Do you, th- do you guys think? Do you, do you think that it's their, their role uh, in the first place to actually issue such statements, or is it they're just keeping mum and see what what happens first? What do you think, Hatif? I don't think they have to. I mean, to to me personally, uh, EPF and Kazana don't have that mandate to to you know to uh, you know verbally have to say that they're going to be stabilizing markets. Yeah, pass judgment or yeah, whatever. They just do it. Uh, you know, they get in uh, where they see fit, where they see necessary. They get in and they stabilize markets uh, or, or where they see value. So, you know, in a way, they they make that statement by the actions, not by, you know, what they say. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk more in detail about that. But also, um, I suppose you're a fixed income uh, fund manager with Aberdeen. And um, do you have any fixed income vantage point about what's happening right now and what people should feel about events like Brexit? You know, I, I think, um, well, for, for us at Aberdeen, um, we're very big on emerging markets. Uh, and, and, and where I sit is, is part of the emerging market uh, fixed income team, is that uh, what you can see from Brexit or the biggest impact for Brexit for bonds is that we can almost be certain that it's now lower for longer in terms of interest rates, especially in the US. Um, but also that uh, where we see central banks in Asia being more accommodative, uh, that's also positive for fixed income products. Uh, so in that sense, uh, that vantage point for us within uh, emerging markets is that we see risk uh, being quite positive from here on in, um, given the fact that uh, you know we, we think the Fed's just going to be a bit more careful now moving forward. Uh, maybe one hike at best this year. Uh, and also central banks in Asia having that room to cut if they see fit. Yeah, and also there is that phenomenon where people are hunting for yield right now. Um, given all the negative interest rates in some of the more advanced economies, 
do you think that that would really ke- keep a demand for Malaysian bonds up? Oh yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, internally we uh, at Aberdeen we kind of say uh, Malaysia's you know sold off in a set to a certain extent. It's kind of high yield within Asia. Uh, you know, still Thai markets uh, or you know other more uh, advanced Asian markets are still yielding quite low. So for say ten year uh, government bonds, you can still get four percent. That's a pretty high yield within Asia. So I think that that hunt for yield uh, is is really getting even more intense now. Uh, you know where you've got negative yields in Japan, uh, in Europe, for example. So even Europe, you kind of see European money getting into Asia. But more importantly, as, as well, the hunt for yield is on in Asia itself. Uh, the phenomenon has become Asia buying Asia, uh, and that's where you kind of see uh, that chase for yield even within Asia as well. You, you know what? What I found interesting this morning was that uh, the futures uh, betting odds uh, included uh, the Fed cutting rates. Um, and that percentage of p- possibility has ra- been raised from zero before the Brexit to now 12%. Mm. Do you think this will happen, uh, you know, cu- Fed cutting rates, uh, as opposed to going the other way around yeah. on hiking it? Yeah, no, I, I think I think Brexit uh, or the uncertainties within Brexit kind of brings that back into play. Um, you know, I, I still think that's a, a remote possibility. Uh, you know, but I'm just not, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult right now. And that, that's exactly what Brexit brings to the table. All sorts of uncertainty that you can, you know, there's no one in the market right now that can be very certain of anything but uh, there's more volatility coming on board. So in this kind of times, volatile times, uh, so the ma- main question we're asking today is the Malaysian market defensive, right? So be- when we looked at the global financial crisis back in 08, 09, we, knew, we know that uh, from checking the numbers, KL, the KLCI index did crash. But uh, obviously, it didn't crash as much as, say, the S&P 500. And we look at uh, Brexit, for instance, over that two-day period uh, between 24 uh, and the 27 June, uh, the, the weekend over the Brexit period, um, the Malaysian market barely lost half a percent. Uh, and if you look at emerging markets as a whole, they lost almost 3%, 3.5%. Is there some defensive mechanism within the KLCI and what explains that? I, I think uh, and, and so forgive us for talking about equities we yeah. know you're a fixed income investor but sure. uh, we're going to use this uh, yeah. defensiveness uh, interchangeably yeah, between no, that, equities and fixed income yeah and, and obviously you understand um, Aberdeen in Malaysia is a very big f- uh, equity house as well so yeah. you know uh, and, and I sit with my equity colleagues so you know we, we do discuss these things uh, in, in, in quite detail so I mean fascinating I, I, I think it's two things here in, th- in this sense one uh is initially the fact that Asia hasn't been hit, and Malaysia specifically hasn't been hit as, you know, intensely as you know other European markets or you know or the S and P. Uh, so in that sense, uh, it's been rel- relatively defensive. But but secondly, again to your point, um, we do have very strong institutional investors with a lot of liquidity that's ready. You know, to get in on the action uh, when they see or where they see value. So this is a perfect example of, of uh, you know, uh, being that backstop to when you know we, we get any moments of volatility. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about after the break. Uh, we have Hasif Murad, investment manager with Abidin Islamic Asset Management, this morning here with us on the SNM show, talking about whether government institutions are stabilizing factors in market crises uh, like the one just happened in Brexit. BFM eighty nine point nine. 
9.46 in the morning and you're listening to the SNM show which stands for Stocks and Markets and this is a show about what's right and what's not uh, that's going on in Stocks and Market and uh, joining us uh, is Hasif Murad uh, is Investment Manager from Aberdeen Asset Management I'm Julian I'm joined by Ibrahim Sani as well so Hasif before we uh, broke, uh, you said that uh, the local institutions played a big role in supporting market. Is this right, though, that institutions like EPF are padding the market? I would say, uh, again, the initial mandate is not to pad the market. I think they've come in uh, with with the responsibility to make sure that you know our pensions are invested in the right way. Um, and obviously... With most invest investors, it's the market you know best is your home local market, right? So it just so happens that uh, you know EPF is very big in Malaysia, uh, rightly so. So in that sense, the the add-on effect is just that they happen to be padding the market. But yes, I mean to us on the con side is that liquidity becomes a bit more scarce uh, when you have a, such a huge uh, investor. That's right. They have about 2 billion ringgit every month uh, net uh, inflows from EPF. So they would have to put that kind of money to work. But the mandate actually comes from top that uh, they have to invest most of uh, the money in Malaysia. Um, that's not necessarily a sustainable policy, is it? Because uh, there is this huge home country buyers and in the future, can we expect the roles of these uh, GLICs, right, these GLICs, uh, to really provide that defensiveness to our markets? I think they recognize that fact. Uh, you know, EPF has, has increased its uh, international investments to a certain extent. Uh, but, th- you know, that again is, is an argument for diversification for the EPF as well. Uh, but I think... Th- Ultimately, they will remain at home. Uh, and, and, and again, that's where you feel most comfortable with investing. Uh, that's where you have the most amount of control uh, in investing. So there will be a significant portion of EPF investment that will remain at home uh, whilst they still look to, to increase uh, international investment as well. But I don't think they'll be above 30%, for example. I guess if I can ask my question in a more direct way, right? Uh, is there an engineered defensiveness in Malaysian markets rather than uh, market, uh, markets that are based on purchases of investors based on fundamentals. Right? We're trapping the money over here yeah. so that uh, these institutions can buy into the market in times of crisis. I, I think the other thing we need to realise is that uh, even you know investors, not just the EPF, uh, even local investors, Malaysian retail investors who are invested unit trusts are predominantly you know, home-based investing. So, in in that sense, we tend to be very um, cautious when going outside of Malaysia. So, whether it be the EPF or, or even uh, even retail investors. So, in in a way, you're you're creating that 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 trap uh, to rem- to remain in Malaysia, maybe. But I, I do think there are still a lot of opportunities within Malaysia for them to, to get in. But I think this is also necessary, don't you think? Because at, at the end of the day, there's no point you know going overseas and try to buy stuff there when your whole really? country... Really? Why not? I mean, Waze is from uh, Israel, right? Uh, WhatsApp, uh, I think, uh, originally started in Israel. Google was started in America. Samsung is a Korean company. Alibaba, Chinese. You know, is there really this uh, assumption that Malaysia has all the best companies in the world? 
No, of course not. The, the question is, uh, we don't have the best companies in the world. Uh, the question now is uh, whether or not we should continue to invest in these companies regardless. And that is where the government is taking that strong position. They have to defend no matter what. And I think, you know, whether or not we like it or hate it, uh, that is the home country bias that we have to deal with. Uh, and I don't know whether this will change in the future. No, I, have, I think having worked with the APF quite a bit, uh, I don't think that notion exists anymore the defend at all cost uh, even with the BNM for them I, I mean I think our institutions have become a lot more independent like if you, you see you know BNM um, you know slowly reducing the intervention to the FX market uh, I, I think it's the same case for EPF uh, they, they, it's no longer the defend at all cost mentality there even within the bond market they're starting to trade a lot more now so it's it's become this is sort of become a pseudo private uh, uh, you know institution where uh, they, they do have that mandate to make returns and they're, they're trying their level best to, 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 to do that and, and that's why they're going overseas as well. You're listening to the SNM show which is all about stocks and markets and what's working and what's not in markets and this morning we have Hasif Murad who's the investment manager for Aberdeen Islamic Asset Management. Hasif, just continuing with this notion of um, government being too involved in not only the economy but in the investing scene as well. They are a major player there. And I, th- I think we had this little Twitter battle, Twitter, little Twitter war going on about <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, private equity firm Equinas, which is wholly owned by the government, uh, through uh, CMS Opus buying into MBG. And uh, my my uh, almost insult at the time was that government uh, was becoming a fruit seller, right? Because MBG, MBG being a fruit seller. But my r- main question was whether there was a need uh, for the government to spearhead this kind of development in the financial sector. Yeah, and, and, and I think I digested your argument to a certain extent in that I, I get where you're coming from. I think that, that the government has certain uh, ne- you know necessities or responsibilities they have to fulfill first, housing, um, education, and other social benefits, right? And I guess my response to that is that it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, the, the, the government of Malaysia does undertake a significant you know capital market uh, development initiative. I think private equity has to be part of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see why not. Um, Okay, so let's explore that question a little bit more. We we have a few more minutes left, right? Um, When you talk about um, um, markets, right, and private equity, people, investors are very smart. They're Mm -hmm. really clever. I mean, somebody like you... Right, being a manager for Albin as a manager, I, I think you are an intelligent and clever person. Ooh, do you ooh. do you really need <laughs> for the government <laughs> to spearhead such a sector as private equity or or even uh, a kazana to own funds on behalf of Malaysians? I see it the other way around. Interesting, you brought that up. It's not that I need the government to spur it up for me. I think it's the government that needs uh, people uh, within the private equity industry to create innovation for some of these companies. I mean, in the earlier session was interesting. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? The the government creating innovation for for private companies because innovation is something that is done uh, through bright ideas and and these these come from the private entities themselves. Not creating to a certain extent, but enabling them, right, via uh, the likes of Equinas or even what Equinas does, which is outsourcing, uh, you know, uh, funds for, for, for private equity. I'll, I'll give you an example, uh, you know, Tamasek being one, or 3IPLC or, or in the UK, all government-initiated private equity initiatives to, to give uh, growing companies an avenue uh, to, 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 to then find capital where there is a gap, but also to, um, to grow the private equity initiatives within those countries. Uh, Malaysia, at, for what it is, it's still a very small private equity base. 
Uh, another example, I think, is to to bring private equity to the greater masses. Uh, the, the, what Temasek did uh, with uh, Azalea, where they sold private equity bonds into the retail sector, amongst others, to then get uh, you know to get access to private equity for retailers, normal retailers like you and me, who don't have access to it anyway, because you know private equity is more of a high net worth investments, but that's not the case in Singapore anymore. I'm just wondering if there's a political dimension to this, because I'm not sure if Temasek. Temasek's role is to spearhead the private equity movement. I think they want to take strategic stakes in company. And Singapore is a really rich company, but Malaysia to just carve out funds uh, for the spearheading of uh, private equity kind of policy, I, I don't know if this is uh, kind of politically linked, right? Yeah, and I think uh, on top of that, uh, it, everything boils down to how these funds were sourced in the first place because then we can talk about how the dividends are going to be distributed. For a company like Equinus, spearheading the role in the PE sector, um, my biggest question is how do Malaysians get dividends from it? Particularly when much of these investments are, you know, there, there's no full disclosure on it. We can't yeah. actually get public information out of it. Um, would Malaysians get equitable dividends coming from these kind of investments? I, I think it's you, you've just got to separate the pie here a bit, right? You've got the EPF, uh, PNB, guys who, who are, you know, in a way investing our money where we expect returns, right? In 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 a, in another way, you've got the likes of Equinas and these other you know developmental uh, institutions, uh, if you may, uh, who who pays dividends in in different forms, not substantive dividends, the seven percent every year kind of dividends, yeah. but dividends in the form of you're growing or allowing capital to people who don't uh, who don't have access readily access to it, but as, as at the same time you're trying to make profit out of it as well, uh, you know. Um, I'm sure Equinas uh, publishes a report uh, where they, they're targeting what 12% IRR on annual basis. I'm not sure if they're there yet, but I'm sure there's an, an amount of profit that's being, that's being paid back to Yayasan uh, Equity Nacional, which is the, the capital provider. Yeah, it's, it's still uh, a small number. I mean, if you even if you paid out 10, 12% dividends a year compared to 100% of those funds which can be channeled into social causes, right? Uh, that's a discussion, whole new discussion for another day. But uh, what, what of the future for private equity in Malaysia? Can we have more private entities coming up, stepping up to the plate to take over from the government? I mean, uh, Creador uh, is one institution. It's homegrown, right? Uh, yeah. they, they, they've done very well. Can we have more Creadors coming up? Yeah, I know. I completely agree. I think um, it's not finite. I mean, or rather, it's not infinite. There has to be a point where the government steps out. Uh, of you know providing these crutches uh, to to these institutions, and like mm. you said, they're very smart people. Um, eventually, it will pick up. And I think um, once you've provided that avenue for you know private equity players to come in uh, to to then brand themselves, to then bringing capital from the outside into Malaysia, and that's also another objective. And then I think at that point, government needs to step out, let them you know let the market forces take effect. One minute more. Any final words for how people should handle Brexit? Keep calm. Keep <laughs> calm and carry on. I, I think that's exactly what uh, you know. Uh, my, my CEO, my global CEO, said he's gone through Black Monday, Black Wednesday, every other Black day as you can imagine. He said, "Look, um, we need to keep calm. We need to keep level-headed, and we need to just uh, you know let the fundamentals speak for themselves." Very quickly, do you think that the Brexit had effect? Had some effect on the England uh, English players uh, coming <laughs> crashing out of the Euros? Completely, but it should it should have motivated them. As, as a matter of fact, you know, I'm just you know I'm just surprised they weren't even more motivated by Brexit. That's <laughs> it.
Thank you so much for your time. And that was Hasif Murad, Investment Manager for Aberdeen Asset, uh, Islamic Asset Management, joining us on this episode of S&M Show, BFM 89.9. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.